You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredsBS.com. That's Breads and Spreads by Fred. As always, folks, FredsBS.com is the best place you can go for all sorts of delicious baked goods. And if you use the coupon code NoLoveLost, you'll get 20% off of your order. Guys, you also can go, if you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, you can go to the Podcast Jukebox Network and purchase some No Love Lost t-shirts and Crazy About Kurt t-shirts. Yeah, don't really have much in the way of announcements this week. I just want to say thank you all so, so much for listening. And if you can't support us directly, uh, it means the word to us if you spread the word. And if you leave uh, a rating and uh, recommend this to your friends, it really does mean a lot to us. So thank you guys so, so much for listening, for supporting us. You guys are the best. And on that note, Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash and there are others and there are numbers. And it all means something supposed to anybody but We had to go back. Did we, though? Did we? I mean, it'd be pretty rude if we didn't. We have a guest today. Why do all these people keep showing up on this island? They're sh- yeah, exactly. Each no, a, a freighter full of guests have arrived. Well, actually, I flew Oceanic because I came from Sydney. Look at that. <laughs> Look at that. Welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast where... Each week, we dissect what is clearly the greatest television series of all time. And the proof is that they made a musical out of it. <laughs> you know what? I have a hard time arguing with you in that regard. Because it's, it's long been an intrinsic belief in my heart that literally you can make anything better by turning it into a musical. The one exception being the um, West End production of the Lord of the Rings musical. But even that's not true because Fellowship is a musical parody of Fellowship of the Ring, and it's awesome. (laughs) Well, let's just be more accurate. They didn't make a musical. A parody musical popped up. Written and directed by myself. Hi, I'm Stephen. Yes, yes, let me, let me, before we get into the history of musicals here, I was about to... I'm your host, Will Link, with me as always. Megan Salinas, hey. And that voice all the way from Sydney here in the uh, No Love Lost studios uh, is Stephen Brandon. G'day. I feel like I have to say the g'day. Now you got to play into it. Now i got to play, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you got to play into all the stereotypes. Uh, Stephen, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I've loved over the years having you on my other podcast, Will Sean Podcast. You are always our Emmy expert, and you've come on to promote many things, and one of those things was years ago, back in 2014, you came on to promote Lost the Musical which you created. Uh, And now it's back. It's back for a new run five years later. Tell us a little bit about the musical. 
So, yeah, exactly. In 2014, uh, my friend Stephen Christopher Parker approached me and said, why don't we put on a musical? We both love Lost. Uh, Lost had finished a couple of years before, but it was still in our minds. That ending, that controversial ending was still in our minds. And we thought parody musicals were just starting, just starting to happen. It had become a bigger thing. Now there's one, name a show, it's happening. Yeah. Uh, but we were up in the early days. And so we wrote this three-hour epic of Lost the Musical. The first act was seasons one to three, and the second act was season four to six. Uh, and we did parody lyrics. So uh, Don't Stop Breathing. Spoiler alert, when Charlie's dying becomes Don't Stop Breathing. Uh, you know, uh, five, six, eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine, Jenny becomes 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, Penny. Uh, that's the Desmond song. So we did that. And, uh, you know, by the third show, Jorge Garcia showed up to our theatre and then ended up talking about the show on K-Rock and then I went on K-Rock and plugged the show and we were sold out after that. We did a six-week run. Uh, and, you know, Sam Anderson came to the show and Rebecca Maida came to the show. Uh, and we had alternate endings. We let the oh. audience vote on three different endings because people didn't really like their ending. Um, <laughs> after that, I went on... Uh, Stephen and I went on to co-create uh, Shame of Thrones, the musical with uh, another musical team and we had original music for that and that's been running for quite a while and uh, we got approached by a theatre in the valley called the White Fire Theatre and they do weekly shows so you get seven shows a week uh, and they wanted to do Musical Mondays and they approached us to do a couple of musicals so Shame of Thrones the musical came back uh, and then following that lost the musical we thought it's been 15 years since the pilot our uh, penultimate show is going to be September 22nd the 15th anniversary Perfect. of the musical. So uh, I went to the script. I decided we should probably cut an hour out. So it's a two-hour <laughs> show, not a three-hour show. So goodbye, Zoe. Goodbye, uh, Ilana. <laughs> goodbye, um, who, who got cut from the show? Richard got cut from the show. Uh, oh, yeah, because we yeah, had, yeah. in the original run, we had a, a Michael Jackson song. It was Thriller, but it became Monster. And we realized Michael Jackson is not in favor. I was going right to say, now. was it, was was it? So we was, cut that number, and yeah. Richard had a. Richard, it was an easy cut. Yeah, to Richard make. had the Vincent Price role in that number, so he got <laughs> cut, and I replaced it with Uptown Funk, which became the Island Funk, which was all about Charlie uh, shooting Ethan and Claire giving birth, all in <laughs> one song, uh, and we came up with a new song for the Freighter folk. Uh, I'm a believer from um, the Monkees. Or Smash Mouth from Shrek. Uh, I'm on the freighter. I'll see you later. I gotta run. Uh, so that's in there. And then we, yeah, we we cut a whole. We had a tap dance number about candidates, uh, where uh, the man in black, <laughs> man in black's hooray for candidates. We cut that. Uh, but anyway, yes. So Lost the Musical is back, and it's playing in the Valley until September 23. And the thing is, like you were saying, with the show you had these alternate endings uh, in the first run of it, because you, I mean. You love the show, but you're able to take, like, the piss out of it Yes, still. we are yeah. We are honoring the show. We love the show. Yeah. You know, we were able to make so much fun of it because we knew it so well. I mean, you, you say that Lost is the greatest show of all, and the reason I agree with you is because it just made me think the most. Yes. You know, The Office makes me laugh the most, but The Lost makes me think the most. And I've been listening to your podcast recently, and we, something I think Lost did that no one ever did before was they introduced the showrunner to the world. Nobody knew the creator of Magnum P.I. Nobody knew who was running these shows. But when Lost came on, suddenly Lindelof and Cuse, they were on Jimmy Kimmel as themselves to talk about the show. You know, Lost and Cuse, they used to have their own ABC little podcast where they'd answer questions on ABC.com before podcasts became a big thing. Uh, so For me also, with yeah. Lost, it was the first show that, like, after every episode, I'd go to Entertainment Weekly's website, and they would do these 
amazing, probably too deep of dives <laughs> into each episode, where they're like reading the entire books that characters are reading on screen just to get it. But I hadn't seen a show be embraced like that, and it was a, it wasn't just a water cooler show. Like it was something that you would dissect with people to down to the minutiae. And for me, a fun way. I don't know, maybe in the age of Twitter, I wouldn't have as much fun with that. <laughs> well, yeah, back in the day, I remember, I mean, Australia, and I was reading Ask Osiello, Michael S. Osiello used to work for TV Guide, then he went to Entertainment Weekly, and he would have all these questions and spoilers about Lost. And, you know, I remember when Anna Lucia got shot, and then Libby got shot, and it was, were they really killing off those characters, or were they just firing those actresses? You know, yeah. all the debate there. Uh, and then, you know, I, uh, there's uh, footage of me asking questions to Q's and Lindelof at Comic-Con wow. uh, on my YouTube page. And then I did it again at the 10th anniversary Paley Fest uh, thing. So, uh, yeah, it became a really interactive thing where you, ha- where you just had to... And, you know, they were going to answer everything. But then the strike happened. And so one of the seasons got shortened. Uh, so a lot of stuff got thrown away. Like, uh, Libby was meant to do more than just... Uh, show up in the mental <laughs> hospital and give Desmond a boat. Then just be weird and vague and then disappear forever. <laughs> yeah, there was more plans for her. Uh, but, you know, as we'll talk about tonight, Mr. Echo, people want to, some people want to leave the island. Now, uh, I saw the show five years ago, loved it, saw it again this week, maybe loved it more. Um, and maybe it's also because I've dove back into Lost. Like, Lost is more in my head than it was. But, Megan, it was your first time seeing it. And I was sitting next to you, and I think one of the things I loved, you were laughing so much. (laughs) And you were, like, hooting, too. Like, you were hooting and hollering at some stuff. (laughs) Well, it's a fun show. And it's one of those things where, um... I think at one point there was a little bit of a call and response and some of the audience did and I emphatically did. Uh, and I was like, then it only occurred to me like afterwards, I was like, oh, maybe I wasn't supposed to shout just now. Um, but yeah, no, I really like this show. And I, I think what what it is in terms of the essence of this show is exactly what Will was saying, where the the parody that's there, I think the best parody comes out of love of the genre or... The, the subject matter, whatever it is that you're parroting, I feel like there has to be that core love there if you want the comedy to really hit because the people who love it can acknowledge it for its flaws, but also like not, not be blind to that, but again, it, com- it all comes from that place of love. Love of the show is what unites everybody in that audience. Definitely, and you know, when we have a cameo by Dr. Arts. And when we mentioned him and you kind of see him coming, there was a big applause that night because yeah. the real Lost fans were like, oh my God, you put Arts in the show. Yeah. And, you know, we have Nikki and Paolo and we kill them off very quickly. That but... was fantastic, by the way. Best use of Nikki and Paolo. I mean, you know, our show basically is Gilligan's Island. So anyone who hasn't seen Lost can come and watch our show and laugh and enjoy it on one level. But then there are deep, deep cuts like a Nikki and Paolo uh, you know, we have a polar bear, we have a smoke monster. <laughs> and, and you play into all the things that we, on this podcast, that we think are, like, hilarious and semi-annoying about the characters. Like, sometimes the way Kate presents herself <laughs> in this, or the way Jack talks about himself in your play. Uh, one of my favorites, though, is what I've noticed on my Lost rewatch and doing this podcast is 
the screaming of Walt constantly. And Walt is a puppet in your <laughs> Michael carries Walt. We didn't want to cast a kid, so we yeah. cast a puppet. And he. It's so funny because we live in a world, or we're recently living in a world of Walking Dead Carl memes, where he's always yelling Carl. And I'm like, oh, Lost wasn't around when all like everything was memes. Otherwise, there would have been a million Walt memes. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, every time the word Walt is said, it just gets louder and louder and goes longer and longer. Uh, that's a lot of fun. Uh, one thing I, I found really interesting because. You know, Lost is, like, as a show, has a huge ensemble cast. And so for you guys, uh, in order to cram everything that you can into, what is it, two and a half hours, um, a lot of the actors have to take on dual roles. Well, this was the thing. You know, when a Lost actor dies uh, <laughs> in our show, they come back, slap a wig on them, and there's somebody else. So uh, when Charlie dies, that actor comes back as Faraday. Uh, he's also Galt. He gets killed. He's also Widmore. He gets killed. I mean, that actor gets killed like five or six times. Uh, you know, Claire doubles as Libby. Uh, yeah. And then uh, Shannon becomes Juliet. who She's also Penny. Uh, so there's, you know... The multiple. actress who played Claire, doing an Australian accent. Uh, you help her with that? Uh, uh, <laughs> yes, our actress, Casey Spivey, who plays Claire, she's... Uh, her accent has become such a farce of an Australian yeah. accent it's become comical yeah. but there was a scene where she's giving birth and she didn't know what to shout uh, so I was giving her tips about fair dinka mate she'll be right uh, you're as good as a dead dingo's donger uh, so I was giving a few tips to, to say there um, it's so funny because I was watching her in the play and then the next night I watched this episode and while I was watching the play I'm like Claire doesn't really sound like that. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, she kind of does. Like her. You know, it, I mean, Emily DeRaven's wonderful, but oh, God, that Aussie accent, it's so <laughs> grating. Uh, you know, it's so funny because, you know, I'm dating here in LA and I meet this girl recently and she's Australian. And my friend's like, oh, she's Australian. And I'm like, I really don't like the Australian accent. <laughs> it's so grating to me. Well,. Uh, the musical's wonderful. It's playing here in Los Angeles. Uh, give the people all the details they need to know to find everything about it. If you're in the LA area, go to lostparody.com. Uh, you'll get all the information there. We're at the Whitefire Theatre in Sherman Oaks. We're only on Monday nights, except for our special 15th anniversary show on Sunday, September 22nd. So come and see the show exactly 15 years from when the pilot aired. Uh, yeah, we're playing to September 23rd, lostparody.com. On all the socials. And if you love Lost, and I assume you do because you're listening <laughs> to this fucking podcast, but if you love Lost, uh, you really have to see this because it is a, it's hilarious, it's a good <laughs> love letter to the show, and it'll bring back a lot of things that you might have forgotten about about the series and go, oh yeah, that happens? That does happen. If you want to see Locke and Hurley do a can-can, <laughs> you know where to go. Which, you know what? That was the one thing the series was missing. <laughs> well, now that we have uh, introduced you and talked about your wonderful show, I'm glad you're here to break down the latest episode, Season 2, Episode 10, The 23rd Psalm, <laughs> which, as we all know, is the one that's like... Um, I walk through the, the valley of the shadow, shadow of, of death. Of, yes, it, that's Yes, it. yes. <laughs> we all know it from, uh, what was that, the Coolio song? <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, uh, Gangster's Paradise. <laughs> yeah, we all know from that. I know Which it's from Weird Al, the uh, Amish, <laughs> Paradise. Amish Paradise. Recently yeah. featured in the Sonic the Hedgehog trailer for reasons unknown to literally everyone. Um... <laughs> But this is, as you alluded to before, Stephen, this is a Mr. Echo episode. <gasps> yes, it is. Mr. Echo, such a fan favorite, um, probably because he was, you know, tough and brooding and had a very interesting And backstory. much more likable than Anna Lucia. <gasps> <laughs> Excuse me, I'm not me, saying Anna Lucia is not likable. I'm just saying that Echo was much more likable I... than... I, I do want to just point out. Okay, look, I, look, wait a second, Stephen. Look what no, you no. did. I know you got a time crunch, and now you just you forced this no. episode to um, go for five I, hours. I do think it's it's interesting though, um, looking at the backstories for both him and Anna Lucia, because both of their backstories are incredibly dark. And yeah, a lot of it makes me kind of look at. Like, don't get me wrong, everybody on this show has had, like, a dark flashback episode. Sawyer's parents were murdered. Um, you know, Kate murdered her father. Like, there's been a lot of dark stuff. But, man, the Tailies feel like they have, there's just this slightly sharper edge to their narratives. And, yeah. like, especially this one. I remember well, being shocked back in the day when this episode Well, happened. I wonder if how much of that is that now they're on a second season and they realize they could push some boundaries a little more. So when they in, when they have these new characters, like, let's go darker. People will fo- We figured out people will follow us. Then. Well, what's interesting is I think they established the plane with the Virgin Mary statues way before they even came up with Echo. Um, yeah. I mean, you, knew, you know, they had Anna Lucia in their heads at the end of season one because she made that cameo. Uh, but that plane that Boone it kills Boone eventually yeah. was way back in the middle of season one and I think they always planned to develop a character around that plane but the plane came first yeah um, this episode was written by Linda Lofton Coos that makes a lot of sense and uh, it was directed by Matt Earl Beasley and this is the only episode Matt ever directed of Lost. And uh, Cuse and Lindelof got an Emmy nomination for their writing for this script. And it's a, re- it's a really good one because it handles his backstory well. And it's here's the other thing about this episode that I hadn't thought about until re-watching it. It's also a Charlie episode. I forgot that until I've, I watched it again. Yeah, yeah, I had forgot that. And it only occurred to me now, this is the most so far we've gotten of Charlie in season two, really. This is his biggest episode so far. And this episode lays a lot of groundwork for where his storyline the rest of the season and even into season three goes. Um, and and it, it does hit some uh, uh, emotional places, both for Echo, both for Charlie. So let's get into it. We, we're going to start with the flashback. We usually <laughs> like to get that out of the way. Well, I we think can. doesn't the show start? It starts, this episode start specifically with flash, with starts with the kids playing soccer oh. in, in Nigeria. A, Nigerian village. You know, the warlord shows up looking for child soldiers, as they do. Can I just say <laughs> that I had a flashback to my grandfather because my grandfather was in the Holocaust and he was telling me how, how he'd gotten to the Holocaust and he was in Hungary at the time uh, and he was, like, doing some work in the yard and a truck comes up and just says whatever and takes them and takes a bunch of children and takes them off to camp. Oh it was God. very take the children. It was very Libby. Where are the children? They took the children. Same thing in Nigeria. They just come to, you know, to pick the strongest. And But it's interesting because when they get there, mm. they get like an old man down there and they get a smaller kid. And like bring the little kid and he's like, shoot this guy. And the kid can't do it. But his older brother comes and kind of basically 
takes the gun, pushes him out of the way, and just shoots the man dead, saving his younger brother's life, essentially. And that turns out to be Echo and his younger brother, uh, Yemi. Yeah, I didn't know for a while if Echo was his first name or his last name, but uh, it's his first name. But he got, he got the name Mr. Echo from his abductors. Yeah. yeah. This, uh, again... Probably the darkest cold open that we've gotten so far. Born killer. Child killing an old mm. man. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, you, you just, again, we, we joke a little bit about Echo being an African warlord in previous episodes, but the reality of it is this is an incredibly dark narrative. And it's a hell of an introduction because at first, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of thought at first that Mr. Echo was the younger brother up until he comes in and pushes his little brother out of the way. Like, I, I kind of thought that that's where the story was going, but then, you know, we find out that he's the older brother instead. But this is not the first time we've seen Echo kill someone for self-defense, because that's what he had to do in the other 48 days, Yes, uh, was to well, do exactly what he's done as a kid, kill someone for self-defense. And, and we'll talk about this more when we get to the, the island stuff, but his characterization in this episode is completely different than his characterization up until this point. And it's very jarring and a, and a little unnerving. Well, there's also a very important moment in this, this opening scene in which the warlord uh, rips a crucifix off of Echo and throws it on the ground. And Yemi picks it up. And it is this kind of passing the torch in a way. And it is like the life that Echo could have had. Like, he could have been that man of God, and he clearly has that inside him. And we already know that about him because we've seen him on the island. We see that he does, he is a, a man who, who prays and is thoughtful. But all that ended up going to Yemi. I mean, and it's, it's a common narrative in media to have two brothers walking very, very different paths in life. or An Aaron and a Moses, if you will. Ah! <laughs> so... <laughs> So, the next time we see Echo, he is an adult, and he's a warlord, apparently a very feared warlord, and he's he's doing this drug deal. He's, these friggin' guys. <laughs> yeah, these guys, they want to move these drugs, and the only one, the only man who could do it is Mr. Echo, but the problem is, when you go to Mr. Echo for business, eh, he'll just slice your throat and take all your drugs. Now, in his defense, it was the was, dreadlocks. He was doing them a favor, and they had the gall to insult him. That like they did he literally says, "I'm doing you a favor because I see through your bullshit, so I'm gonna do you this favor. We cool?" And they're like, "You have no soul." <laughs> and he goes, "Well, so that's you, what happens." Oh wait, do you think he did that? He hadn't planned on killing him. That it was just a moment of like he's like, "Oh fuck you," because I'm assuming he was that he was kill planning him. on killing them. Yeah, I feel like he if he was planning on killing them from the get go, why go through the the only reason to go through the the whole farce about like I'm doing you a favor, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, is to exposit that information to the audience. Yeah, <laughs> that's Emmy-nominated <laughs> exposition written by Goose. I'm just saying, I think it was a moment of like, oh, okay, that's how it is. I think I he was pulling his dick out, plump on the table. Yeah, no, it, yeah. it was. He was disrespected in front of his in front of his men. That's so true. I guess had, you can't let that stand. No, no, no. Uh, Not, but, those are African warlord rules. 
Yeah, never insult any warlord of any <laughs> of any country. Uh, how do you think they got the name warlord? Yeah. <laughs> um, but the plan is, he's gonna the the Catholic missionaries could use a plane. He knows a Catholic missionary. He's gonna get the drugs out of the country that way. I just had a thought. Um, we've talked a lot about in flashback episodes, like candidates for like worst flashback character. Yeah. Um. Like I, Locke's boss and people like that. <laughs> like Randy, Randy and yeah. Susan. And, you know, we, we offhandedly call those people monsters, and they are. They're terrible. Um, I think African warlord flashback guys sort of take the cake on worst flashback I don't know. I'd rather, I'd rather hang out with them than hang out with Randy. <laughs> Worst in what they do, but still interesting people. Fair point. Fair point. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and that's all that counts. <laughs> so, Echo goes to the church, sees a woman selling Virgin Mary statues for uh, polio vaccination. And, uh, you know, he goes to talk to his brother, the priest. And, you know, he doesn't want to... Uh, you know, he tries to talk to him. He tries to have this, like moment of we, I need you to isn't it just like family to only come around when they need a favor yeah but Yemi still <laughs> thinks he can fix his brother he still thinks Aww. he can take him on the path of the righteousness but uh, no 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 can well, do no dice there's a lot of guilt there because Yemi mm. knows that he wouldn't have gone down this path if he hadn't taken the time to save him mm-hmm what's interesting also at this point for like the tension of the episode is we know those drugs make it out of Nigeria. We know that this we know that Yemi eventually will you know, give in to some level. Yeah, like we I love I and, love the and, way the, the the pieces in the flashback episode incorporate into what we already know is happening. Seeing the statues of the Virgin Mary, knowing that they need to acquire a plane. Like these are all pieces that ultimately we know where they end up. So I think that's incredible. Yeah, and at a certain point and, we see him we see some dead guy, and he rips open his chest, and there's no cross there. So we're like, okay, this guy saved my life. But we still don't know what happens to Yemi. Yeah. There's a lot of it. And this is what the show, in the early seasons in particular, when we were still having flashbacks, it always did a good job of... I miss those days. We know where this is going, because we know where these characters are. But it would always do a good job of throwing a curveball in how we got there. And this episode is a great example of that. Because then eventually we see Echo comes back. And he's like, I want to make a deal. Don't turn me down. Uh, because these guys I'm with might burn down your church. I'm going to give you the money for the polio vaccination. Give me all of your Virgin Mary statues. Here's the money. Sign it. Make me an honorary priest. Yes, exactly. It's, it's not a bad deal. Let's be honest here. It's a pretty good deal. Everyone gets a polio vaccination. Drugs that we're going to get out of the country anyway get out of the country. And you know what? Better to have those drugs in your native land of Australia <laughs> yes. than to have them in Nigeria. That's what I'd be thinking. Now, I do want to ask both of you guys from a moral standpoint. Yeah. Mr. Echo sets it up in a very appealing way of, like, these are all the positives if you just help us with this drug deal, basically. 
if you were in Yemi's shoes without the coercion that Oh, without the coercion? Without the coercion, would you listen to your brother? Well, I got no scruples. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's I I'm the asshole who could rationalize it be like, well, no one will have polio. So, let's just do it. I mean, who does heroin really hurt like in the long run? Oh, wait. I mean, he's worried about his village. The upside is the village will be saved. The downside is it's a bad thing, but you don't... I, I, doesn't Out of sight, out of mind. It is funny, <laughs> though, because talking about, you know, the, the drugs will be out of this country, they'll be in another country where another character happens to be addicted to it, you know? But once he's threatened, once it's like these guys... And I like how Echo's like... I won't do it, but these assholes. Because I'll tell them to do it. Yeah. They will do it. It's such like a mobster thing to do. Like, hey, kiddo, I like you. You you and me, we're family. I'd never do anything to hurt you. My buddies, on the other hand, well. Yeah, I can't, th- I can't uh, speak for them. Ben Kingsley and Sneakers, I could not kill you. You are my brother. You killed my brother. Yeah, yes, yes. And I always appreciate a Sneakers reference. There you go. Yes. So good. Um, so, you know, he does, Yemi agrees, and Echo's pointing out, like, yeah, we're both sinners, but Yemi points out, God will forgive me. Oh! (laughs) So, yeah. Cut to the next time we see them, Echo, dressed as a priest, because he's getting on that missionary flight full of Virgin Mary statues, <laughs> full of heroin. And they're loading up the plane, and all of a sudden, car pulls up, his men are getting into it. Oh, it's Yemi. And Yemi begs him not to go. It's a little, it's a little too late, I think, at this point. But Yemi's, like, begging him, like, walk away. And you're like, eh, what's the plan here? Well, the plan is Yemi also told the, the military about it. <laughs> Yemi, you narc. <laughs> yeah. So he called the military in, and he's kind of making a last-ditch effort of, like, Echo, let's get out of here. And he's put him in the ultimatum situation. This is Yemi's equivalent of setting fire to the church. (laughs) The military's coming. You might as well just come with me now. How do you like dim apples? Uh, (laughs) Of course, this does not work out. No. No. Here comes your twist. And there's always a twist on a twist. Yeah. Not just that John Locke used to be able to walk. Now he can't walk, or vice versa. But now, Yemi's going to get killed. Not only is his brother going to get killed, but Echo's going to be mistaken for his brother, and he gets to go off scot-free and just live with the guilt for the rest of his life. And I've always loved the moment when we see, when they they look to Echo and like, father. And it's like where Echo's making that choice of, it really is kind of, it's his way out, uh, not just of this situation, but a way to maybe honor his brother. Maybe he's seen what has gone wrong, and he can change his life. It's it's freedom, but at a terrible, terrible cost. Yeah. And he's getting his second chance. Because uh, he gets kicked out of the plane by the, the man who saved his life. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> for kicking him out of that plane, because that plane crashes. Yep. I, I did like... I really liked that moment, though, because it was very much a look of, like, this wouldn't have happened if it weren't for you. And so he kicks, you know, because I always read that as a betrayal. 
as opposed to. Well, I mean, it is, yeah, yeah. but it also it's a good it, it's a betrayal that worked out for everyone <laughs> it worked except out Yemi. Okay. Didn't really work well, out. Well, it for didn't Yemi. work out for the guy flying the plane. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the other thing that is always striking to me about rewatching this show, and we talk about this a lot, is these shots that I always remember and these moments that I've always remembered. And a lot of times when you rewatch a show after years, you're like, oh, that's a little different than I thought. And maybe there's some plot lines like this, but all the shots in my head or moments in my head that have stuck with me are exactly as I remember. And the look on Echo's face when he's asked, like, asked if he's uh, like a father, you it's always stuck with me, and it's exactly as I remembered it. So that score—it's just the music that plays in his acting. It's—it's it's beautiful and sad, and it's great. It's great. I have no other words. Agreed. <laughs> All right, there you go. Um, so that's that's our flashback. Now let's go to the island. Yay! And, <laughs> and on the island. We start with Claire talking to Echo, and Echo's taking an interest in her baby. Her baby's named Aaron. Ask why named Aaron. Talk about uh, Brother Moses, as you brought up before. <laughs> and at that point in the episode, we don't really know how much of a, that will actually even play into Echo's storyline. And it does make you think about things like... Were they thinking of the brother of Moses when they named the baby Aaron? Were the writers thinking? This? Because it is a show that famously, more than other shows, we go, did they really know Chance what they were doing? Chance or coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think... His grandpa is named Christian. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and that is a lot to live up to for baby Aaron. Uh, so, you know, they're talking and they talk about how Charlie, oh, man, you're religious. You should talk to Charlie. He's always carrying statues of the Virgin Mary around. Bum, bum, bum. And Echo immediately, like, he goes... He, go, he, he, he goes go, priest to warlord very, very quickly. Yeah, he goes a little <laughs> hard now. Like, he goes all of a sudden full throttle of, like... Yeah, he's not like, oh, cool, could I see it? That would be great. <laughs> like, he just goes straight into being like, okay, where is it? It's like, you know, the friendly priest echo is the facade. And this is the, you know, the mask yeah. has been dropped. And this is the real echo now. And it's cut the bullshit. Get me that statue. Let me that statue so I can smash it in front of you without any explanation. <laughs> uh, and, and know that there's heroin in there. And of course, obviously... When he sees that there's heroin in there, he has to go find Charlie. And Claire's none too happy about this either because Charlie's been walking around with heroin statues around her baby. Um, and he... Well, first we have a nice little moment where Charlie's singing the kinks to Jin. <laughs> and Jin, and I kept thinking about Jin and your show during this moment. If, just a quick aside about your show. The joke about Jin is... Jin is speaking English in your show, and no one can understand him. <laughs> but I believe there's one moment where he speaks Korean. Yes, uh, yes. Jin and makes the most sense. No one understands him. Uh, by the time the others come to get him, he speaks Korean, and then they finally understand what he's saying. Yeah. So we've reversed <laughs> that joke from the show. Um, and I was thinking about that the second I looked at him, and I'm sure the <laughs> next episode I'll be thinking about that too. <laughs> well, your musical's fresh in my head. But Charlie... 
basically Echo gets in Charlie's face and like, where'd you get the statue? You're bringing me there now. And Charlie's being, and I think somewhat rightfully so. Well, this Taylor just showed up and starts ordering him around. I mean, if he wasn't so physically imposing, Charlie might have taken a breath and, you know, they could have had fisticuffs. But, uh... And and it's a theme with Charlie, though, of feeling like he's a second-class citizen as opposed to some of these, quote-unquote, island leaders like like Jack and La. I mean, he's a sidekick because he's that lovable, goofy, drugged-up sidekick. Yeah. He's the shaggy. (laughs) (laughs) He really, really, really wants to be on the A team. But sorry, Charlie, you're B team material. And you will be until the day you die. (laughs) And, you know, Claire is immediately like get out of here and charlie's trying to explain he's making up all sorts of like charlie's just making excuses and lies throughout this whole thing but once again echo really blew up his spot echo could have just went to charlie and been like you know this heroin in there take me to where it is instead of like calling him out in front of his special lady friend isn't it isn't it just like sort of an older brother to be like hey uh, so what do you mean, like, you you knew what was in it because you said you didn't want her to get the wrong idea. Like, isn't that such, like, an older brother yeah. thing oh, to do? Yeah, I love the moment where Echo, in that kind of very calm, not quite explaining <laughs> himself way, when they're walking through the jungle, he goes, why did you say you didn't want her to get the wrong idea if you didn't know what was in it? Like, I love that moment because it's, it's a tense moment, and the only thing that undercuts that tension then is that, Echo sees the smoke monster. Yes. I mean, it's like 48 days I've been working with this chick. I've been working on this, this long con with this girl for 48 days. You come and ruin it one day. Yeah. Yeah. But this guy, I mean, but then Echo sees the smoke monster and much like Locke in the beginning, he doesn't run. He doesn't scatter. Charlie's halfway up a tree. And... Well, the, the first time he sees, he just sees the, like... Yeah, the little bit of smoke. Just a little yeah. bit of it. And that's when I think Charlie had lied to him and was like yeah, here's where I found it right here <laughs> yep it was just lying right here yep nothing suspicious about his... this answer in the slightest but um, it's also interesting in this episode in their conversations they have during this walk to the plane Charlie also blames his brother he puts a lot of the blame in an episode that's very heavily on about Echo and his brother in the turns their life went, Charlie brings up the, you know, he, he has resentment towards his brother because... His brother got him into drugs. Yeah. Most of the people have daddy issues. These two happen to have brother issues. I mean, I love all the pairs in this episode. You've got Charlie and Echo together. You've got uh, Michael and Locke together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, pairs that you don't see. Echo and Claire are together. And then it's like, who, where are our main characters? We don't see Jack and Kate and Zoe for a long time. Jack's giving pep talks in this I mean, ep- episode. Didn't Jack and Kate make out last episode? And <laughs> yeah. that's not even brought up once. The, the, it's brought up in busy, like an awkward She's look. too busy giving a haircut to Sawyer. Yeah. I love that. We will get to the <laughs> Sawyer <laughs> haircut. We will get to the Sawyer haircut. But yeah, you're right. It, this is an episode where a lot of the people we've spent because the majority of the season has been tail section or mm. our big three characters of like Kate and Jack and Locke. Mm. And again, it hadn't even occurred to me that, oh, Charlie's had nothing to do all season until this episode. So they continue to walk through the jungle. That's when they find the body of the man who saved his life. This man <laughs> saved my life. Again, 
Very vague and cryptic. <laughs> Everybody on the sounds vague and cryptic. I love it. Um, and, you know, this is also when Charlie notices there's, like, scripture written on uh, Echo Stick, along with some blood. <laughs> Nifty walking stick. Yeah. Uh, I'm surprised they never made those, like, an Echo Stick you could buy. I, I don't know what sort of merch they had available for this show at the time. If he I had think lasted it like... longer, you could get a Palisades toy, McFarlane toy, Echo Stick. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, alas. Yeah, I, I think at the time it was probably just t-shirts and maybe coffee mugs, maybe keychains or pens. I don't really see the, the, the little Funko Pops having been a thing back I in I want a full Echo Stick. I want a full... Life-size. Yeah, I want yeah. a life-size Echo Stick. That's got to be... some Somebody on Etsy's carving one of those up right now, I bet you. Or one of the originals they made for the show is at some prop house. Yeah. Um, okay, so as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to go look that up. I'm okay. going to go peruse Etsy to see if anybody has somebody, made I a I like some psycho stick. carving in scripture <laughs> into a piece of wood just to sell it to me for like 30 bucks on Etsy. And you'd buy it. I would buy it. For 30 bucks, I'd buy that thing. Um, so, and this is, yeah, this is when Charlie's cl- climbing up a tree and a smoke monster and Echo have a real stare down. And... The camera goes, like, all the way around the smoke This monster. is the first time, I believe, where we see the smoke monster possibly taking photos. There was a lot of theories <laughs> at this point of, like the, he can see your life. He can, because there's moments from judging. Echo's life yeah, that we yeah. see. Yeah, if you, if you pause it, you can see. Like, I actually had to rewind this moment because I was watching on my phone last night, and I normally don't keep the brightness up very high because saving battery and all that. I had to like turn up the brightness on my phone and rewind it because I couldn't tell what those weird flashes of light were until I brought up the brightness and I was like, oh, he's seeing flashes of his life. When when Locke saw the monster, I think it was like episode four, yeah. and he said it was a thing of beauty, did we see the smoke monster in there? No. We just saw his face. We just it was all the, like POV of the smoke monster coming yeah, up. Yeah, so over we just Locke. saw Locke. This yeah. was the, I mean, we've seen the smoke monster before, and we heard the chains at the season one finale, yeah. but this is the first time we've seen a character come face to face. And that we've spent time really looking at that this monster. Yeah. The first time we've seen the smoke monster, because we saw him briefly at the end of season one, but like this is the first time the camera has lingered on mm-hmm. the smoke monster. And I'm gonna be honest, oh man, 2005 was a long time ago. <laughs> and I'm like, this doesn't look as impressive as I remember it. But it is interesting, like you said, the theory of that the smoke monster at that point is reading Echo and taking these like images Notes, of his yeah. life. Well, in, in in theory, he's judging him worthy of am I going to kill him or not? Yeah. Uh, and at, at this point, he doesn't kill him because it's too early in the show for that. But when eventually he's written off, the smoke monster changes his mind and says, <laughs> I will kill him. And so well, that's so the when... man in black flip-flops. Well, the man bit. in black <laughs> decides maybe the man in black real At this point, man in black thinks he could maybe use Echo. Later, he realizes mm-hmm. he could he could still... Like, Locke never turns enough for him, but Echo makes a turn that he feels is, I can't... Uh, I, I'm just going to get rid of this guy. Now. Like, this guy's not going to... I'm not going to be able to manipulate this guy. Yeah. 
and the circumstances aren't right for me to possess him or whatever he ended up doing to possess and, Locke. So he's just like, okay, we're just removing you from the board. And now I'm thinking of Will watching this episode all those years ago, never thinking, oh, that smoke monster is actually a person who, uh, <laughs> who is making these decisions. But, you know, when we put in the context that we're discussing, it makes perfect sense. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, at this point, isn't he known as an island security system? Is that what we've been told, that the smoke monster is a That's, security yeah. system as well? That was Rousseau's interpretation uh-huh. of him. And yeah. we, as you know, we've discussed before, the audience should take everything Rousseau says with a grain of salt. <laughs> uh, Rousseau, also wonderful in Oh Lost my gosh, she's so good. <laughs> she gets the best entrances. Yes, she has her own fanfare music when she comes on, and she's queen of exposition, our Danielle Rousseau. Go see Lost the Musical. So anyway. So, so good. We're, so eventually we get to the plane, and. Did he make a Fantasy Island reference, or am I making that up? In Lost the Musical, they mention the plane, and then Boone goes, the plane, the plane. (laughs) For for those old enough to remember Fantasy Island. I was thinking it was in the episode. No, no, and funny because backstage the girl who plays Rousseau said to me, I don't get that joke. And I said, you, you're too young to remember Fantasy Island. <laughs> the, um, we're all too young to remember <laughs> Fantasy Island, but say, we know what it is. I mean, I never watched it, but we, yeah, I knew the I've, reference. I've yeah. never seen it, but um, Ricardo Montalban is a treasure. So we get to the balloon, uh, the, the, <laughs> we get to the Boone killing plane. And, <laughs> the plane that killed Boone, yes. You know, Echo examines it. He finds his brother's body. Uh, Then he gives Charlie a new statue to replace the old one, which is fair, but also probably misguided. Shouldn't give a drug addict a statue full of drugs. But maybe by this time he's learned to trust Charlie. He kind of believes the story or believes he's been Charlie's explanation of kind of the security blanket nature of it, it, it makes sense on some level. Like, I get that. Yeah. I also, I don't know if I'd, I still don't know if I would give drugs to the drug addict, but it does make sense, and you're right, he's come, him and Charlie have bonded on this little journey, like they hmm. face down the smoke monster. Uh, and then he proceeds to uh, burn the plane, uh, you know, and Charlie asks him if he's a priest. Because earlier in the episode he was like, what kind of priest does this, this, and this? What a weird priest. Are you sure you're a priest? But Echo says he is. He says, yes, I am. Pretty sure you didn't go to priest school. Just saying, Mr. Echo. And then he, well, he can recite (laughs) the uh, 23rd Well, he has closure now on that whole event. So he's like, I'm a priest from now on. (laughs) There's a piece of paper with a signature on it that says I'm a priest. So I'm a priest. (laughs) No, that's him embracing it in his heart, obviously. And you, you mentioned pairings, and while he's reciting the 23rd Psalm, we cut to a lot of pairings. There's a great, there are a lot of sweet little moments. We get a Hurley Libby moment mm-hmm. where there uh, sparks little flirting. are flying yeah. there. We also... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really cute because she's like struggling with the tarp and everything mm-hmm. like that. And people aren't jumping to help the tailies, like with their setup and everything like that. So the fact that Hurley's going over to help her out is really cute and really sweet. We get a really lovely moment where Jin introduces Sun to Anna Lucia. Anna <laughs> Lucia, who's like 
the outsider of all outsiders Honey, at this point. this is the lady who beat me up and threw me in a pit. Here, have a fish. <laughs> That's just the way she said Well, you know life. what? Roles reversed. He would have done the same to her. If, you know, oh, no. They thought he, she, he was I, another. Again, was another. I am the biggest Anna Lucia yeah. defender on this podcast. Yeah, no. of the two of us. <laughs> you are. Um... But then we also have the moment of Charlie coming to find Claire, kicking him out of the house, basically. She's moving his stuff, getting his stuff away. And, you know, he's he says it made him feel... This is where he really gives the explanation of it made me feel safe. It made me feel safe having this thing. But, look, I get it. You don't want the one drug addict on the island to be the one caring for your baby. Well, see, here's the thing. It's not so much that he did the thing, so much... That he lied about doing the thing. Because a lot of times the lie is worse than actually the thing. And I think she's more offended about the lie than anything but else. I mean, what's the, what's the lie? It's a lie of omission, right? Like, you don't go up to someone and say, like, if I told you right now, like, oh, yeah, and one of those books is hallowed out, and that's where I keep all my cocaine. But I choose not to tell you that, even though it's true. <laughs> Well, why didn't you ever offer Well, I should not trust you with my one-year-old because you never know what influence you're going to have on my one-year-old on this island. We're going to, me and that one-year-old, going to get all uh, strung out. Please um, move your tent 60 feet away from me. But now, here's... Because that will keep you away. But now, here's kind of the twist. You can't really get a restraining order on the island. Yes, how dare you? she do this thing to Charlie that we love who's so innocent, or is he? Yeah. Well, because the final moments of the episode... We see him with the statue, and he's like burying it in like a little hidey hole, tree trunk, whatever the fuck it is. And there's a bunch of statues. The hidey mm. hole. Yes. <laughs> and that's when it's like, oh, this is a little bullshit now, Charlie. Yeah. This is more than just a security blanket. And we want to believe you, Charlie. And we want to trust you because we love you because you are lovable. You're funny and lovable, and you are a well meaning person. But. You got a lot of heroin stockpiled. Does Charlie relapse? Do we see any usage of these drugs before I his don't demise? Remember. I believe I don't... he does. Yeah. Because there's right. I mean, oh I my feel god, like there we're is gonna have a... to remember this. I, I feel, feel like maybe like... Claire drags him in. Well, I feel but, but... like there is a relapse plotline, but well, I there's, don't remember. There's a whole plotline where like he's out in the water trying to baptize the baby and having visions of the Virgin Mary. and I do remember that. So he's lo- he loses his shit, and I believe it's because he gets back on the smack. No, mm-hmm. I think it's because the island starts messing with him, but everyone assumes it's the drugs, right? Uh, well, we, this well is you're going to have to find this out. This is why we're rewatching. <laughs> I feel like you, you, use, you, you need to use the drugs in some sort of surgery coming up or like, you know... Jack, Jack, Jack operating on someone on the island. If only we had heroin. We need heroin. I know, I've got a whole hidey hole full of them. (laughs) He's operating on Ben and he's like, I need 10 cc's of heroin instead if I'm going to fix this man's cancer. So, there were other things going on on the island. For example, as you said, Sawyer was getting a haircut. I loved this. So much. I love that Sawyer more than anyone, I'm realizing in the rewatch, gets these little weird B stories of <laughs> Sawyer needs glasses. <laughs> Let's make a whole plot line about it. Dental plan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Sawyer is becoming the hero, and he doesn't want to be the hero. When I did my first 
last rewatch many years ago before I wrote the show in 2014, Sawyer became my favorite character because just watching his him grow. He and has whatnot. a great arc. I, yes. I think you also gave him the most difficult song in the in your guys' show. Oh, you did. Yes, he gets to sing Modern Major General from <laughs> HMS Pinafore. Uh, he is the very model of a Dharma Barracks employee. <laughs> so much exposition to give away, so we might as well do it in a song. So our our Sawyer, Eric Fagundis, was our original Sawyer. We have four original cast members back for this Aww. one. And who, he's, who, he's is, a great, who are the other ones? Uh, Casey, who did Claire... Alex Lewis, who does Charlie Faraday's back, and Yuan Chung, who played Jin, was actually our Jin understudy many years ago, and he's been uh, bumped up to series regular now. Real quick, uh, the woman who plays Claire, is she also in Shame of Thrones? She was in a, yeah, she was in Shame of Thrones. She was one of our Khaleesi's. Yes, I remembered her from that more than I guess from the. There's qu- yeah, there's a lot of cross. There's, there's a lot more, of more more recently, but I yes. was like, oh, she was yeah, she was Khaleesi. Um, anyway. Um, I, I do love this moment because Kate's like, everybody loves you now. And I'm like, I mean, that's not untrue. We all love Sawyer, but like, he left on a raft and then got sick. What did he do to win over well, everybody's love? Cool. Was it just because of that near-death scare? Is it because he was brave? You don't brave? know what you've lost until you've almost lost it. <laughs> is it, is well, it because he was so brave uh, when he was taken captive by Anna Lucia and the other Tailies and everybody was like, hey, he ripped a bullet out with his bare hands and when he was being interrogated by them, he's like, I'm not telling well, you anything also- until I know where my friends are. Actual lines that he said. <laughs> he also... Took, he also took a bullet. Yes. He, you know, he's I trying mean, to save Walt. Sawyer's done some heroic shit now. And Claire, uh, not Claire, uh, Kate pointing this out is the worst thing she could have done for Sawyer because now he is going to act out against us. But uh, but I, I do love the idea of, like, because we don't ever get to see it happen, but I love the idea of Michael going around and telling everybody, Sawyer took a bullet for my boy. Yes, like, it's funny because this is actually the beginning of Evil Michael. Yes. I think Michael and Sawyer are switching roles now because Michael is out to get a gun. He's gone, wants to go get Walt back. Locke's giving him lessons. And Which, nice parallel with Walt from season one. Yes, so now they're buddy-buddy. And this is where he goes off and will eventually come back to, to shoot our beloved Anna Lucia. <laughs> uh, and then eventually get blown up himself way into season four now yeah there's this moment where michael's like asking a little questions about the guns which is always a sign it's like oh you changed the combination that gun. like it's always a sure sign of like don't let this person near guns um and uh, you know michael is like you said he's out there training by the way a real waste of was that ranch dressing was that like, or mayonnaise. A real waste of a... Ju- you couldn't think of something else to shoot? I think Hurley would be very upset by that. I'm upset! <laughs> I wrote in my notes, waste of mayo. But visually interesting. Yes. <laughs> uh, question, do we actually believe Walt is typing back to Michael on the computer, or do we I think mean, it's... I mean, I've never believed it was. Well, I have a question, because we, we get a scene where Jack interrupts mm-hmm. this chat session, which, by the way, is <laughs> just so, just, like, reminded me of a lot of, like, old AOL IMs back in the day. Um, 
But Jack interrupts this chat session to give Michael a pep talk to be like, hey, nobody's forgotten about Walt. We are going to do something about this. I will fix this, Michael. I will fix this for you. Yeah, I got some things to say about that later. <laughs> um, but when he comes around, like, it, it, like, the camera is very intentional on showing Michael stopping his typing and then the camera turns around and we see that there is no text. It's like screensaver mode. I was like, so yeah, did the computer go into screensaver mode? Was Michael able to surreptitiously hit escape? Or was there never any text on the computer to begin with? That would be <laughs> fucking amazing. I've never thought about that. It's not a bad theory well, that like, Michael is building up some fantasy to say as an excuse to force himself out to go save his boy. Well, I love it. Well, either either a fantasy that he's creating in his head as he's mentally unraveling, or it ties into the idea that Walt does have powers and he's communicating with his father via The Shining. <laughs> Well, I mean, my whole thing is that even if Walt is typing to him, it has to be under duress. Well, he could be in room 23 on a computer break. Just, you know, <laughs> do they just let him wander or, around there? Or he's being catfished by a very lonely, per- by a very it's lonely Mr. person it's, it's in Mr. the dark. It's, it's Mr. Friendly. It's Tom Catfish. looking for a date on the yeah. island. Yeah. Just he's not like- Kate's type. <laughs> Um, he went to the original run of, MC Ganey well, because he was at the showing back in 2014 that I was at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that. But I, oh, I like that theory, and I, I wonder if I'm sure because people were dissecting everything. I'm sure. I'm sure you're not the first person to come up with that, but you're the first person I've heard to say that, and I like well, it. Like it again. The camera is just very intentional, showing his hands hovering above the keyboard. And not, and we never hear another sound effect. We never get another click. We never get anything where he gets the chance to type on the computer again, at least as far as we can see. So in my mind, I'm like, either the computer went into standby mode because he didn't type back immediately, or he was able to low-key hit escape, or Control-Alt-Delete, or (laughs) whatever, or... It was never there. This is the biggest <laughs> mystery that the writers never answered <laughs> of the show. Um, and that's pretty much your episode there. Uh, you have, I know you have some No, notes. I'm just looking through my notes. I was just, you know, I was just, it was 19 minutes before we saw Kate and Sawyer. Uh, so there was, you know, they, they're they the C-plot of the episode. Yeah. Um, very brief C-plot. Very brief. Uh, Sawyer just, needs a haircut. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a little bit of humor is always good. Uh, no Saeed in this episode. He didn't get anything to do. I just think about these actors. Did uh, Libby and Anna Lucia get their full rate just to have that I, one scene? I thought about that like, too. Cause... I was like, Michelle Rodriguez, her, her name is in the beginning of the episode. Like, yeah, she's, she's getting 50K an episode. She's getting fifty the same amount of money this episode to touch a fish as she did for her whole <laughs> flashback episode. Now, I do, like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, that's the dream job, right? You live in Hawaii. You You show up. For one scene, you get fifty thousand dollars. That sounds amazing. Yeah, just go. To me. Don't go drink driving afterwards because <laughs> that job won't last too long. Oh. <laughs> um. So yeah, that is our episode. Uh, Steven, since you are mm. the guest, why don't you start with your uh, man in black of the episode? What is the thing that 
rubs you the wrong the way. The thing that, well, I was thinking there, there wasn't much. Yeah, because there's, there's not much look, to rub you the wrong way in this honestly, episode. It's almost always a stretch for me. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, it was a, all the plots were good, everything was good. But so I really, I just wrote whiny Claire, that accent breaking up with Charlie uh, as my man in black because I was like, it's the only thing that made me roll my eyes or like, ugh. Put it on mute. I can't stand how whiny Claire is, baby. It's giving your whole nation a bad name. <laughs> I know. Man up, Claire. Man up. Uh, Megan, you got a man in black. You, It exists mostly for you to give up. <laughs> My man in black in this episode is, you guessed it probably, the man in black. Uh, like, again, those effects really don't hold up in, you know, all these years later. And that's not the episode's fault. Like, I feel bad like poking fun at effects from 2005 like i feel bad but man did because we linger on it for so long it just it looks so weird it looks so out of place that's my man in black for this episode um because i always like any opportunity i have to shit on jack (laughs) uh you know fuck you with your no one's forgotten about your son your missing son yeah he's a kid who's been kidnapped to his father. Yeah, help him. Help him. You, should be, you should be organizing something right now. You shouldn't be sitting around trying to dilly-dally on this. Like, yeah, we're going to come up with a, with a plan. No, a plan should already be being formed. Like, come on, There should Jen. be a committee on this as we speak. He Michael is, should be on that committee. He is a giant. Go find him. These people kidnapped a fucking child <laughs> and jack it's it's so like just like yeah you know there's a lot going on though you know we got to give sawyer that haircut <laughs> got nine rounds of golf to play yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right so steven your jacob my my jacob really just goes to adawale and his acting so uh triple a uh you know as you said he goes from so nice and enthusing to scary his turns uh, in this episode are amazing. Uh, he's crying when he finds Yemi at the end. Just such a brilliant performance. He, he really does go from such, like, lovable warmth to fear on a dime. It is a great performance. Like, this is, honestly, especially in 2000... When did this episode air? 2006, probably. When this episode airs, he's... I mean, this is an Emmy-worthy performance. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you know, automatically makes him a fan favorite. Yeah, this I think people were liking Echo. He's also got the cool name, mm-hmm. you know that helps yeah. a lot. But this is the episode where I think you really fall in love with him, uh, Megan. Um, yeah, just that this whole episode is an A plus plus for me. Um, like I I kind of see this episode. Very uh, like very similar to um, Saeed's backstory episode in uh, in season one, where you know we have somebody who is ostensibly a bad guy, quote unquote, with a a dark tragic past. So I I feel like this is continuing like a lot of those parallels from season one in terms of backstory, but again with that slightly sharper edge. Um, it's so hard to pick a man in white. Um, because everything in this episode is just so stellar. Um, just for the sake of being different, I, 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 
Again, Adewale's performance is amazing. The writing is on point. But just for the sake of being different, I'm going to give it to uh, the look that Josh Holloway gives uh, when um, I think it was Michael who was like, hey, I'm glad you're all right. Just the look on his face that was yeah. like I literally out loud went, aww. Well, I've already told you the indelible moment for me has always been the look Echo gives one, but I'll, I'll also say, and we, it's where we started with this episode, the cold open to this episode, it is Fantastic. dark. I mean, a network TV show 15 some odd years ago doing a storyline with like child soldiers killing people in the opening episodes of a hit television show on ABC on like Wednesday night for the whole mm. family to enjoy. It, it is kind of it is something you would have seen more on. I mean, this is cable. a Breaking Bad plot right here. Yes, right? Yeah. Sopranos type thing, as you say, on prime time, January 11, two thousand six. By the way, this is yeah no, Thank this you. is frigging incredible for network television in terms of again, the sort of type of story that's being told. Um, and like I said, when um, Saeed's episode in season one was dropped, I was shocked. I remember being shocked at the time, and I remember being shocked at this episode. And correct me if I'm wrong, this, did this episode come out around the same time as Blood Diamond, the the film? Like, I feel like Blood Diamond was a little later. I think I think that was a 2006 film, but that would be the end of 2006. Yeah, like, because, um, yeah, I, I got a lot of, like, but in it's, a, it's in the same. Like, the huh? fact that this predated Blood Diamond, I think, is kind of, again, very, very telling for the quality of show and the type of storytelling that early lost was being ambitious enough to try to tackle it, yeah i can't understate how awesome this episode is yes blood diamond was uh, 2006 released december 8 so the so you know yeah, obviously they were written in similar times and obviously it takes much longer to make the movie so there must but, have yeah. been something in the public zeitgeist that was like let's let's talk about you know child soldiers and this sort of dark storyline that a lot of people don't want to look at. And if you remember from Blood Diamond, it's not uh, <laughs> bling bling, it's bling bang. <laughs> um, so, Stephen, thank you so I'm so glad you had you on. We had to have you on. And the, the musical was a perfect occasion to uh, one more time, just let everybody know where they can see it, find the information, and the information on you because you've always got so, I'm sure you've got a million other things you're working on well yes uh, shame of thrones the musical wraps up in a week but uh i did play the smoke monster in <laughs> lost the musical did. it's not my role it's the assistant stage manager's role but she was away so i did that role i don't know i feel uh, like you might have stole that part from her now uh, like, well, it was pretty well i received. did give the people what they wanted um <laughs> you can find me on twitter at stephen b29 uh instagram at stephen b29 b uh at uh, lost the musical on twitter at lost the musical instagram but the website is lost parody dot com uh check us out there excellent megan uh you guys can follow me on twitter and instagram at the Menguin. that's t-h-e-m-e-n-g-u-i-n i um also do a show uh called uh, rooster team radio where me and my cohorts talk about rooster teeth related shows right now we're in the middle of camp camp counselor's corner and that's a lot of fun if you're a fan of rooster teeth related properties i highly suggest you check that out i also have a youtube channel called silver screams where me and my co-host katie cullen talk about horror things so i highly recommend you go and check that out if you're a horror movie fan so woo uh like i know it's july or august right now but i've already started planning like halloween stuff 
it's already popping up on my calendar. Cause so guys, I'm just really excited to be talking about the most wonderful time of the year coming up. And you can follow me on Twitter at the real will link. Uh, and you can buy my book crazy about Kurt. It's uh, it's a book about the nineties. It takes place on one day, the day Kurt Cobain killed himself, but it's not, uh, that kind of plays in the background. It's really anyone who grew up in the 90s, and even if you didn't, if you're ever a teenager, you'll like this book. Crazy about Kurt. Get it wherever books are sold, and by that I mean Amazon. I forgot one plug, speaking of the 90s. Uh, my next show coming up is called Dear Jerry Seinfeld. What? And it's a musical episode of Seinfeld based on Dear Evan Hansen. Stop! So, <laughs> what the fuck? So Alex Lewis, who plays Charlie in Lost the Musical, does a great Seinfeld impersonation. And uh, him and his partner, Greg Smith, wrote this musical episode, Seinfeld. goes for about an hour. We did a showcase at UCB. Uh, we're going to do it at the three clubs in LA starting in September. Random shows, djerryseinfeld.com. Basically, uh, he's doing some stand-up comedy and Crazy Joe Devola uh, sees that Jerry's doing some jokes about him and Crazy Joe Devola takes his own life. Uh, and... <laughs> Uh, Joe's sister sees all these messages about Jerry Seinfeld and thinks they were best friends and so it kind of follows the plot of Dear Jerry Seinfeld excuse me of Dear Evan Hansen but it's in an episode of Seinfeld Stephen (laughs) you now have made musicals out of my two favorite programs of all time my favorite drama and my favorite comedy of all time this is amazing this is going to be in September throughout the month uh, September 26th and then a couple of shows in October and November (laughs) so check out DearJerrySeinfeld.com as well Art DearJerrySeinfeld.com I'm going to this (laughs) I can't not go to this wow Uh, Dear Evan Hansen has a great soundtrack so I'm I'm really excited that sounds incredible Dear Jerry Seinfeld starting September 26th okay (laughs) okay I may uh yeah okay (laughs) Um, and you can follow us at No Love Lost Pod on Twitter. Um, did you give your plugs? Okay. You did. We heard it. I, didn't, yeah. <laughs> I just remember you doing the, the crazy real about will, Kurt. Right. I wasn't sure if you gave your your Twitter handle. You could also follow the book at <laughs> Crazy About Kurt. Yep. Um. So yes. Until next time. See you in another life, brother. Hey there, everybody. I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me, as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, and so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, far, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 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 off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have The Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. 
And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will hmm. he? Oh, no. Spoiler alert. Uh, not as frequently as usual. <laughs> but you should definitely subscribe to all these shows. Rate them. Listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, these are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. We're on the same network. <laughs> so yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you listen to us, might as well give us a rating. <laughs> you're already there. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs>